This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. privilege to be here. Um, just to, to know Andy as he was working through the process of moving to Denver. Um, thanks so much. Uh, and just to, to talk with him, we talked a lot about church planning and, and the whole process and then to, to see him move and to, to kind of from a distance watch as it, as it took shape and went through every different turn around that you could. And um, just to, to be united in Christ and be able to worship together um, with, with this church and with this body, it's been incredible to, to see and to watch and a privilege and honor to be a part of this. So thank you for having me. I uh, really appreciate it. Uh, as, as Cole said, my name is Corey Johnson, and uh, my wife, I've been married to my wife, Stephanie, for 11 years. Uh, we dated in high school, then all through college, and then got married um, and then God gave us our first daughter. We got pregnant two months after we were married. Um, not our plans, uh, but, but God had his own plans. And uh, so we figured, all right, well, if we're going to go ahead and have a kid this early, let's go ahead and finish having kids. So we have four now. Um, we thought we were going to be done at three. Uh, and then surprise again, uh, we, we had our fourth, which, which was great because we had girl, girl, girl. And we were like, no more girls. We're done with girls. We can't do this anymore. Pregnant, we were convinced it was a girl, and then God gives us a boy, a son, Miles, uh, and he is so different. Gosh, what a trip. Uh, and so it's an adventure, 10, 7, 5, and 2. Uh, we stay busy. Uh, my wife is a rock star. Now, how she does all that she does, I, I just don't understand, um, but she is incredible. And so uh, we recently moved to Austin, Texas. We've been there for a month and to start Austin Life Church. Uh, and so uh, next month, August, we'll kind of start gathering people in. We have a few connections, and then September, early September, we'll launch our first community group. And it'll look a lot like this church. We'll start in our homes and small groups and raise up leaders and launch out in new groups. And then as, as we launch new groups, we'll bring the groups together for kind of the corporate gathering. And so we really are following a very similar model. And so it's exciting to see this because this in my mind is, okay, God, when is this going to happen? Uh, what does this look like? And just to see it taking place is incredible. And so uh, I'm excited for what God's going to do in Austin. Um, I'd love to pray for us to pray together as we open the word uh, and just ask God to speak with us. And so um, would you take a minute and just you and God, would you in your own words, um, would you pray to God and ask him uh, to speak to you? and to drown out the noises and the distractions that inevitably come our way, and that uh, you would hear from him and his word alone. And then would you ask God if he would speak through me, that it would not be my words um, or my persuasive speech, but a demonstration of the Spirit's power, and that the gospel would be clearly heard. God, we are grateful for the opportunity to open your word. We're thankful for the freedoms we have to read and study together. Um, God, would you speak to us? You are all that we need. Your presence, uh, God, is the fullness of joy. And so meet with us, speak with us, uh, change us by the power of your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray together. Amen. So um, Psalm 130, as I'm reading this, this psalm, as Andy told me we were going through the psalms, I immediately went to this. This is a psalm that's been personally important to me over the last year. Uh, and as I'm thinking about it, have you ever encountered uh, just a day, a moment, a season of, of darkness? 
Just, just a dark day, a dark night of the soul, um, and, and maybe it was a week or a month or, or a year even, um, just where internally, spiritually, emotionally, uh, you, you're just low. It seems as if the bottom has fallen out. Um, everything that could go wrong just seems to be going wrong. The, the waves and the circumstances of life just seem to press in, and, and, and you literally feel like overwhelmed and drowning in the circumstances of life. Uh, for me, that, that has been this last year. Uh, October, uh, November, December were probably the lowest months in my life, uh, my wife's life, our marriage together. Uh, the Lord exposed some idolatry in my heart uh, and really uh, called me out on, on where I'd been placing my trust and my hope. Uh, I was left incredibly insecure, doubtful of what's to come, afraid of the unknown. What are things going to look like? Uh, for my wife and I, we'd never had as low a point in our marriage. Um, we, we, we considered separating for a bit just so we could recover, uh, so that our marriage could become healthy again. Uh, it was genuinely uh, the lowest we'd ever felt uh, in our lives. I mean, I remember countless sleepless nights uh, pacing the house at two, 2 in the morning, just, just asking God, okay, God, please, I know you can. I know you're able. Please, will you, will you make this end? Will you take this away? And, and it just seems to continue. And, and even now, we still, we have the effects of this season. Uh, you know, we have, the days are a lot better now, but we still have these moments where it just seems to crash in on us. And we can't, we can't shake it from our minds and our hearts. We're just overwhelmed. Have you ever had anything like that where you just seem to be drowning and my guess, my bet is knowing the world we live in, the brokenness of our world, the sin that, that we've encountered, we've probably all had moments like that. We've probably all encountered days and seasons that are just desperate and hopeless, and, and we need the light of hope to break in and tell us that there's going to be a new day. It's going to be okay. And, you know, maybe, maybe it, it comes from a job loss that you never saw coming, and it just spins out of control of what's next? How do we provide? How do we get to the next month? What's it, what's it going to look like? Uh, maybe it is um, a, a surprise, an accident that comes up, either the death of a loved one or an illness or something that was a surprise diagnosis and just kind of takes your breath away, and you're wondering, how do we move forward? Perhaps it's, it's finances that continue to seem to mount and grow when you're wondering, how do I get out from under this? How do we, how do we recover and, and move to a better season? Perhaps it's a relationship strain, either a, a spouse or a friend, a betrayal or something. Maybe it's the consequences of sin where the guilt just can't seem to shake it. And you can't seem to, to break free from your mind. The reality is, for, for all of us, I would imagine, certainly for people we know, we, we've encountered times like this. Uh, David in Psalm 23 calls it the, the valley of the shadow of death. The psalmist here in Psalm 130, he calls out from the depths, crying for help. And so when those times come, when, when the dark days seem to press in and it surrounds us, the, the only thing we want, right, is this longing for hope. That, that this season, it's going to end and, and, and over here is a new day. I just need something, the light to tell me that it's, it's going to be okay. Which is why I, Psalm 130 has been so, so encouraging for me. So huge. Because in this psalm, we see that we're not actually alone in the darkness. And there's hope when the darkness comes. There is hope for a brighter day. 
And so as we, as we look at verses 1 and 2, we, we see the psalmist crying out. We don't, we don't know much about the psalmist. We don't know who the author is. We don't know what his story is, what the circumstances are in life that brought him to this place. But as we read it, we can immediately connect because we see this authentic, honest vulnerability. And, and we know, okay, I've, I've been there. Whatever there is for you, I've been there. I've been in the depths. I've looked up and I've looked for an answer and I've looked for hope. I've, I've been in this point where everything seems to be crushing and overwhelming. And I'm so encouraged and grateful for his honesty and vulnerability that, that he's willing to expose himself because it, it tells us we're, we're not alone. And it tells us that it's okay to not be okay. I think, I think so often the enemy wants to tell us when we hit that season, when that, that, that day comes where the light kind of fades and the darkness surrounds it, the enemy wants to tell you, no, no, this is just you. Like you can't really talk to anybody about this. No one else will understand. You can't really expose this because you're, you're all by yourself. And if you let people know your doubts and your insecurities and your fears and what you're struggling with, then it'll never be the same. You, you, you've got to remain quiet. And we tend to think like we've got to be perfect. I can't, I can't struggle with that. I'm, I'm a leader. I have a reputation in, in the church, in the community, in my job. I can't, I can't struggle. And, and I'm so encouraged by the Psalms and by the scriptures because it tells us, no, 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 you're not alone. And it's okay to not be okay. I think so often we miss out on the healing and the restoration that God has for us because we're unwilling to be honest and vulnerable with where we really are. We're unwilling to expose it. We're unwilling to, to let the light come in through honesty. And so my, my encouragement, if you're there now when that day comes, don't, don't stay there alone. Don't try to move forward alone because we're not going to move forward as long as we're not being honest with ourselves, with others, with God. And we see this. Man, King David, a man after God's own heart, dude was a train wreck. If you read the Psalms, you're like, I don't know if I can trust this guy anymore. But, but God, I mean, there was obviously something beautiful in confession and letting it be known. And, and so don't, don't try to walk it alone. Don't, don't hide in it. The psalmist, he doesn't hold back. He cries out from the depths, God, help me. The, the walls are caving in. I, I feel alone. I feel dark. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get over there. God, will you please help me? And that's what we do, right? We, we, we look for help. We look for an answer. When something's broken, we naturally look for a fix. When we're sick, we look for a, a medication, a remedy. You, you may remember if you have kids or as a kid when, you're, when it's dark and you're, you're scared of the dark, because we've all been scared of the dark, all we need is a, a little light, right? A little light and the fear kind of seems to, to creep away because, okay, I can see a little bit now. It's, it's, it's okay. There's not actually something in that corner, right? We, we reach out for help. I told you I dated my wife in high school, and so I don't remember if it was high school or, or early college, but uh, we went camping. Uh, her and some friends, uh, we, we all went camping together, and then on the Saturday, we decided to, to tube the river. Do you, do you tube the river in, in Colorado? Is that just a Texas thing? Yeah, a little bit, okay. Yeah, just in tech, it's kind of boring a lot of times. So you're just sitting there, and you're like, all right, I'm just getting sunburnt at this point. Um, but so we decided to tube the river, and, and for this season, it was particularly high and quick because we'd had a lot of rain. 
And so we're tubing the river, and somehow one of my buddies pops his tube, and so there's six of us kind of strung out along five tubes, which is fine and all. And then we get to this, this row of, of rapids, and, and we're still thinking like, okay, no big deal. We're all kind of linked up, and you know, so we got the, the six of us going down these five tubes, and it was great at first, but Stephanie and I were at the back end where the water was still a little slower, while the first four were getting pulled by the rapids, and so thus it just jerked us and flipped us over. And so we are out of our tubes at the top of the rapids and literally just pulled out of control. We're hitting every rock down the way. Um, honestly, fearing for, she still has scars on her, her side and her arm. Just we were getting pounded by the rocks. And the whole time I'm sitting there and I'm trying to, to hold on to her with one hand and desperately trying to grab onto a rock to try to get out of this situation. Just something that can pull us from these rapids because we couldn't handle it. And, and that's what we do, right? When something is out of control, we just start grasping and looking for an answer, looking for help. We need something to pull us out of this mess. And the question is, who or what are you grabbing for? What are you turning to for your answer when, when the darkness presses in? Where are you, you going for your light of hope? Our, our country and our culture uh, prides itself in being self-sufficient, right? Right? I don't, I don't need anybody. I don't need anything. Yeah, it's, it's tough, but I'll just, I'll just pull myself up by my bootstraps and I'll clean myself off and I'll be the, the new story of how I turn my life around. And, and we pride ourselves in being able to take care of it. I don't, we don't need anybody. We're good. Or, or maybe when, when there's darkness over here, we think if I can just make this part of my life really, really, really good, it, it'll, it'll cover up the darkness. And so we just like throw all of our energy right into a, a job or a hobby or, or something that can try to hide and mask what's really going on over there. Maybe it's some type of a fix, some type of high, some type of drug, some type of escape that we run to and think, I just need to numb my mind and my emotions because I can't handle feeling that anymore. Maybe it's if you're like me, you, you turn to other people. I've learned a lot about myself in the, in the last year that, that when things get tough, I try to grab onto people because if I can just get their approval of me, then I'll feel better and I'll know that I'm actually not that messed up and everything's okay. And I, I try to hold tightly to, to other people, to my wife, to people in our church. And the reality is none of that can carry the weight of our brokenness. No other person, no other thing, no other... No other source can, can bear the full weight of the darkness that can press in on us. So what is it that you call out to? Who are you looking for? The psalmist, when he's in the depths, when he's crying for help and for mercy, he calls out to the Lord. Yahweh, the one true God of the Bible, Adonai, master and sovereign Lord of all. He calls out to God, God, help me. Step in here and do something. Why God? Have you ever had a time where you just thought, God, you are not here. Like I'm, I'm calling out and there's nothing happening here. Why call out to God? Why, why hope and trust in God to step in and to fix what is broken? Is he really there? Is he really hear us? Is he really going to do something here? Like, how do we know that we can trust God when the bottom has fallen out, when we're, we're reaching and grabbing for hope? How do we know that we can 
call out to God, that he's good for it. How do we know? Well, the psalmist tells us the reason that we can call out to God, the reason we can be confident is him, in him is because in the most hopeless of situations, it was only God who stepped in and brought hope. When drowning and in need of help, it was only God who reached down with the rescue. When lost and in search for an answer, it was only God who has the answer. The psalmist tells us in verse 3 and 4, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could possibly stand? But, but with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. The psalmist's confidence to call out to God in the darkest of situations is because God has already shown up and proven that he is willing and able to rescue the drowning soul. When, when surrounded by sin, it's God who reaches in and pulls us out. You see, what the psalmist knows is that if it's left to himself to stand before God, to stand in the presence of God, he doesn't have a chance. Like He, he is absolutely 1,000% hopeless to remain in the presence of God. He, he remembers how it began. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, they walked with God. They talked with God. They were in the presence of God. And then it was one sin, one choice where they chose to go their way rather than God's way. And from that, God separated them from his presence. One sin. And so the psalmist knows that if he wants to stand before God and God pulls out the list, the record of his sins, every thought, every action, every word, every motive, one sin for Adam and Eve, he doesn't stand a chance. If God starts looking over it, oh man, he's hopeless. There's no way. God is perfect and holy and righteous, and the expectation is perfection to stand in his presence. And he knows there is, there is no way I'm standing with God. Not a chance. But, but one of, the, one of the biggest, best words in the Bible is this little conjunction, but. It's the, it's the turning point. It's, it's where everything seems hopeless, but then comes the hero. But then comes the answer. He's hopeless before God, but with God, there's forgiveness of sins that he could stand. But with God, there's hope. But with God, there's an answer. He knows that he can trust God because when he was absolutely surrounded by sin, God reached down with the rescue. You see, the reality for us today, according to Romans 3, 23, is that all of us have sinned and we've fallen way short of God's perfect standard. That on our own, none of us can stand before God. If we're presenting ourselves before God, none of us make it. If he's going to pull out our list and look over our record of wrongs, if he's going to keep track of every improper, impure thought and word and motive and action and the wrong ways we treat people, if he's going to pull out that list, we're all sitting there with a long list that God's going through. None of us are going to make it. None of us are good enough for his presence, but there's hope. You see, the wages of sin, according to Romans 6, 23, what we earn for our sin, what we deserve is separation from God. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
See, Ephesians 2 says that we're dead in our sins and our trespasses. We have nothing to offer to God, but God is rich in mercy and love. And while we were still sinners, that's when Christ comes and dies for us. See, our hope is the gospel. Our confidence in God is that he's already proven it. That we can trust him because he's already showed up. He's already demonstrated his love for us, that he's for us, that he's good for it. Our most hopeless situation is standing before God, and yet that's when Jesus stands in our place and brings us hope. And so we know that we can count on God because he's already demonstrated it. He's already offered forgiveness of sins. And so Romans 8 tells us that if God is for us, who can possibly be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. I love this. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God's already proven the full magnitude of his love, why is he going to stop now? Why can we not trust him now? It's It's the prodigal story, right? The son who betrays his father, who bails on his father, who insults his father, takes the money and wastes it all. And in the depths of his soul, looks up and thinks, I'll go, I'll go back home. I'll call out to my father. And fully expecting wrath and anger and hostility, instead he has his father running in love, arms open, and embraces his son and kisses him and says, you're home, you're forgiven, come on. That's how we know that we can trust God. Because he embraces us at our worst. When we had nothing to offer, that's when God steps in. He's good for it. He's good for it. And why would he do that? And then the verse 4 tells us, With you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. See, God is interested in having a people who love him and worship him and follow him in obedience because of what he's done for us. He forgives us that we would would be in awe of his grace, that, that we would sing and worship and pray and serve because he's already done so much. He forgives us that we would be in awe of who he is. A gracious, kind, merciful God, rich in love. And so what do we do? When the darkness presses in, because it will, if it's not here today, it may be tomorrow or down the road, but it is going to happen. Life is hard. What do we do when it surrounds and the waves seem to to overtake us and and we're looking up, reaching and asking for help? What do we do? What's our practical step? We do what the psalmist did. Verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. When the darkness closes in, when that day comes, when that moment comes, here's what we do. We wait for the Lord. We hope in him. We wait on his answer. We hope in his good promises. We wait on the Lord. We see this phrase over and over again in the, in the Bible, wait for the Lord, hope in him. And, and as I'm reading, I'm thinking, okay, God, obviously that's a big deal. What does that even mean or look like? Like if, if this is what we're supposed to do, what, what does that even mean? And, and wait, the, the words wait and hope here are synonyms, meaning the same thing. And it's an intentional 
confident choice to trust God rather than anything else, knowing that he's working good. It's an intentional, confident choice to trust God rather than anything else, knowing that he is working good. As we see this word wait, it, fe- it seems kind of passive. It feels passive. You know, when, when everything is hurting and broken and there's, we're overwhelmed, we don't want to just kind of passively sit back and let it happen. We want to do something. But it's, it's incredibly active. It's an intentional choice rather than stepping out on my own. I'm going I'm to remain and trust that God's working. I'm going to remain and trust that God is doing something good here. The, the slide I told you to about, um, this song is perfect. It says, um, my whole life I place in your hands. God of mercy, humbled I bound down in your presence at your throne. That's what it means to wait in the Lord. It's to throw yourself fully into his hands. There, all right, God, you're, you're in control. I'm letting go of having to do things my way. I'm letting go of control. Gosh, that's so tough, right? I'm letting go of control and I'm placing my life in your, I'm choosing to place my life in your hands and your ways. And I wait more than the watchmen for the morning. The, the watchmen were the, were the guards that sat on the, on the walls to protect the city. And they had the night shift. And so they're surrounded by darkness. They didn't have electricity like we do now. They're surrounded by darkness. At any point, enemies could come in and attack. They're incredibly vulnerable and needy. And their one hope is for that sun to come up over the horizon because that means shift change and they can walk away in peace and in freedom. And so the watchmen at night, when they're on the wall and they know that that, that darkness surrounds and that at any point things could crash in, they're looking for that light. They're fixed on the horizon. They're waiting for the light to, to creep up and to bring in a new day. And he says, that's what we do. We wait for the Lord. And so practically speaking, what we see the psalmist doing here is he waits for three things. First, with a resolved focus fixed on the Lord, like the watchman. Don't run to other answers. Don't trust in other sources. Fix your eyes on Jesus. I believe the best thing we can do for ourselves, for people around us, for our church, for our community, when the darkness closes in, is to insert more and more and more and more and more Jesus. As we input Jesus, we push out the darkness. As the light of the the world comes into our lives, as we bring in more of him, we push out space for the darkness. And so when it's crushing in and you don't know what to do, we just read and we pray and we, we listen and we surround ourselves with more and more and more of him. With a resolved focus, nothing else matters. I'm looking to you. I'm throwing myself at you. We fix our eyes on Jesus. And the second thing we do is we call out for help. Don't keep things inside. We, we confess, we present it to the Lord. God, I need you. I cannot do this. I need you to step in here. I need you to fix what is broken. I need you to restore this relationship. I need you to to bring forgiveness. I need you to, to move hearts. I need you, God, to step in and do what only you can do. We call out to the Lord. And then we remind ourselves of truth, of the gospel, of who we are. That that in Christ we are not condemned, but we are forgiven and free. 
that we are accepted and loved. The enemy is going to try to subtly cause us to believe lies and to slowly step away from what is true. And as we're looking to Jesus, as we're calling out to him, we remind ourselves over and over and over again, no, God has demonstrated his love for me. It is proven through Christ dying for me while I'm still a sinner. I know that I am loved. I know that I'm accepted. I know that I am valued because of what God has done for me. We remind ourselves of truth. He's for me. He's working good. He's able. He's good for it. He has not left me. He's not going to leave me. We constantly remind ourselves of truth. That's how we wait for the Lord. That's how we hope for him. And the promise of Scripture is that those who wait on the Lord, he will renew your strength. Those who wait on the Lord, he will not put you to shame. It's not going to end poorly because he's promising that he's working for good. Waiting is tough. It is really, really difficult because we want things to be done and to be resolved and to be fixed now. But so often it's in this process of waiting that we experience and see and grow in our faith more than any other time. Because when we're hurt, we look for the remedy. When we're lost, we look for the answer. When we're, when we're broken, we look for the fix. That's, that's how we're wired, and, and God is that fix. He is that answer. He is that remedy. And so when the darkness surrounds, don't just run from the darkness, but run to the light. Let him sanctify and grow and shape and build you up in that season of darkness because on the other side of it, he's got something better for you than where you were before. It's really, really difficult, but he promises that it's really, really good. It's really, really worth it. And so we wait for the Lord. And then it's as if the psalmist, he, he finishes this private prayer with the Lord, and then he looks up to, to Israel, to the church. He says, O Israel, Emmaus church, hope in the Lord. Hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love and plentiful redemption. With God is a never-ending, never-giving-up, always-pursuing, steadfast love for you. You don't find that with other people. There's conditions, not with God. Steadfast love for you and for me. There is plentiful redemption, more than you can imagine, abundant. Like you think the level's here and God's well beyond that. There is plentiful redemption for you and for me through Jesus. Hope in the Lord. Grab hold of him. He will redeem Israel. He will redeem you from all of your iniquities. Trust him and grab hold of him. When the dark closes in, he is your light. He is your hope. He is your answer. It is ours to be had through Jesus. If you've not trusted in Christ yet, this invitation is yours. That the record of sins that, that we carry and we hold before God, that Christ will nail to the cross and completely remove with him. And that because Jesus has risen from the dead, because he is alive today, by faith in him, we can live forever with him. That we have hope for eternity through Christ. And so if you've not trusted Christ, my, my encouragement, my plea is surrender your life to him. Follow his ways. He is better. He is good. 
Church, hope in him. Trust in him. Remember when the darkness comes, look to him. Call out for help. Remind yourself of truth. Wait for the Lord. Hope in his word. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.